We still good this morning? Isn't it always a blast to be able to worship Jesus with brothers and sisters in Christ and just get pumped up about it? Well, I think that was the same nine that raised their hands for VBS. Um, anyways, uh, this morning, I'm not trying to be the cool contemporary pastor with coffee. This is water and I can't talk, so just give me a second. Okay, let's pray together before we dive into the Word. I'm really, really excited about the Word this morning and what God has to say to us. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we trust you. God, oftentimes we say a lot of things to you. We talk about you. God, we, we are grateful that you commune with us. We are grateful, just as we talked about a few weeks ago, God, we're grateful that you listen to our petitions, that you love to talk with your sons and daughters, that you, you're not afraid of our sin, you're not afraid of our baggage. You're more aware of it than we are most times. So, God, it's just such a, a freeing thing this morning that we get to come to you in conversation. And God, I pray this morning, in the name of Jesus, that this morning, God, would be different than every other morning we've experienced together. God, it would be a morning that our hearts are gripped by the power and the passion in your word. God, that our minds begin to change and to desire your glory and your goodness and your favor and your honor. God, and your gospel going to the nations. Make that our heartbeat, God. Lord Jesus, we've said it over and over and over again to you. If you are not present in what we're doing, if you are not honored in what we're doing, if you are not the reason in what we're doing, then everything, God, that we do is meaningless. So this morning as we open, God, to one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, I pray that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive from you in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, it's just been a good weekend. It's good to see everybody back from vacation. I hope you had a good restful time on um, at the beach or hanging out with family or, or whatever you were doing. Um, we did. My, my wife and I, my father-in-law left yesterday morning. He was supposed to leave last Saturday, but my father-in-law is going to Afghanistan for a year um, so we got to spend a little time with him, and that was cool. And then last night, um, last night we got to go to a wedding and be a part of Taylor's cousin's wedding. And man, it was—I it, it, love weddings because it reminds me of what it's going to look like one day when everything really is done and Christ comes back to get His bride. And um, and and man, there was just festivities, and Jesus was honored, and and you know we were not inside of this church or most churches so we had a little dancing and uh and it was glorious and just to tell you my moves are not like Jagger that's for sure um anyways if you're over 50 you probably didn't get that it's okay I said it and I don't either um go to Romans 8 with me and we'll start one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible I think this this chapter in the Bible really sums up in a lot of ways the Christian life. It, it, it takes us from the beginning, from our justification in Christ, from us being 
free in Christ. And if, if today's your first day and you're just visiting, we're in Romans 8, and we, um, we've been working through the book of Romans. We started the, the first week of, Janu- of January, and we've been, just kind of been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just kind of digging in and, and not being, you know, being bold to press into scriptures that we don't clearly understand and asking God for clarity. So if you're joining us this morning, you joined us on a good day because Romans 8 is awesome. Let's start in the beginning. 8-1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's heard this verse before? Most of us have probably memorized this verse because this verse is one of the, in my opinion, one of the pillars of the Christian faith that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And I want you to think about it this way this morning. The oppressing power of sin has been vanquished in Jesus Christ. You hear me this morning? The dominating demonic power of sin and Satan was crushed on Calvary's hill. So when you think about that verse, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's not just a cool set of of words that we, we memorize, but it's really the motif of Christianity. It's the banner that we fly under. That there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The oppressor has been beat up, destroyed. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I get really pumped about this next one. I, I, but I want you to think about this. Past, present, and future sins. I want you to hear me this morning, believer. Past, present, and future sins can't be held to our charge if we've been regenerated and redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, whoa, whoa. Listen. When you were saved, what he means when he says there is therefore now no condemnation, the judgment ruling over your life that stood as guilty was removed. And the righteousness of Jesus was applied to your account. It was applied to your debt. You were a debtor to sin. Sin was coming to collect. God was going to collect and pour wrath on sin. And Jesus imputed righteousness to you. So listen, I want you to hear me, believer. This isn't some easy believism to where I just want you to say, oh, my future sins are covered. I can do what I want. No, I want you to see that your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins have been covered by the grace of God because he, in his goodness, in his foreknowledge, knew that we were going to continually blow it. He knew that we were never going to live to a standard of perfection that would be pleasing to him. So what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ to live a standard of perfection so that we could throw off all of our shame and sin and trust in Jesus only for salvation. Woo! That's good news this morning. That's good news that when God looks at TJ, when God looks at you, no longer is the, the guilty verdict all over you. No longer is, is enemy and God-hater stamped on your forehead. When he looks at you, the lenses of God's heart has been changed towards you, and it's now son or daughter. Whoo! Man. Hear this. Revelation 12.10 And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night. Did you hear that? I want to read it one more time. I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night. Believer, listen. The night may be dark. You may be walking through conflict or trial. But listen, this is hope for the believer because there will be a day that he throws the enemy into the pit. That he is chained forever. He's the accuser. The voice that you hear in your heart and your mind sometimes that say, man, don't go pray. Man, don't, you shouldn't even lift your hands. And Who are you to lift your hands? You know what you were doing last night? You were, you, you were doing last week? Who, who are you to seek God? Who are you to sing these worship songs? Anybody ever heard whispers like that other than me? We hear those whispers. It's the accuser of the brethren. It's not God. It's not Jesus. There's no condemnation in him. He comes to us whose arms and legs have been broken and restores them so that we can run after him again. He's not the one that pushes us back down. He's the one that lifts us back up from the mire. There's no condemnation in him. And listen, believer, there is hope for eternity because the accuser will no longer be able to whisper in your ear and say, you're unworthy. I'll no longer be able to whisper in your ear and say, you're nothing. He'll no longer be able to whisper in your ear and say, do you remember who you were before Christ? No more will he be able to bring that charge to our account because we will have glorified bodies, glorified lives, living, ruling, and reigning with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. We could go home now. We could. Oh, man. We're free. We're, we're really, really free in Jesus. Verse 2. Let me say this before we move on. The enemy can argue. The world can accuse. Hear this, believer, this morning. But there can be no reversal of the divine declaration that hangs over your life. Free in Jesus. You hear me this morning? The world can accuse you. The enemy can whisper into your ear at every breath, at every turn. But there can be no reversal of the divine revelation that God has placed on your life that you are free in Him and free indeed. 8-2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I want you to hear this, and, and, and I am stopping verse by verse for just a second because I want you to hear an introduction here. He says, for the, law of the, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Listen, the law of the Spirit, when you read that, you're like, what is the law of the Spirit? That's synonymous to when we say the gospel. For the gospel, for Jesus has set you free. And hear this, it wasn't a law that we conjured up or a law that we wrote, but it was written on our hearts and pinned on our spirits by the grace of God. There's something very interesting I want to point out here in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The word spirit has only been mentioned one time in verses 1 through 7. But for the rest of Romans 8, the word spirit, the acknowledgement of the spirit, the acknowledgement of walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being indwelled by the Spirit, references to the Spirit go from 1 to 20 in just one verse, in one chapter. 
So, so hear that. 1 through 7, chapter 1 through 7, the Spirit's referenced once. Chapter 8, nearly 20 times. So why an emphasis on the Spirit? I want you to hear this this morning. The significance of the Spirit is that there is a shift in ownership and indwelling. No longer are we under the old tyrannical reign of sin or the old taskmaster of the law of sin and death. When Christ saved us, He imputed His righteousness into us. And at repentance, we were indwelled, filled, baptized, immersed, whatever you want to call it, in the Spirit of God. Do you hear that this morning? Why is there a shift in his talking? He's talking about lives that no longer look the same. Lives that, lives that have embraced justification by faith. Lives that have trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. So why now does he shift to focusing on and talking about the Spirit? Because there's no Christian life unless the Spirit's in it. Some of us are afraid of the Spirit. We, we hear Spirit and we run. We think... Man, that's a Pentecostal term or a Pentecostal phrase. Or, you know, the, the snake handling services are the ones that talk about the Spirit and focus on the Spirit, right? Absolutely not. It's bogus. He goes on to say, Paul actually says this, so if you're already arguing with me in your mind this morning, prepare to argue with Paul and the Spirit of God, okay? Because here's the deal. If you don't have the Spirit of God in your life, indwelling you, cleaning you, changing you, transforming you. You are not a believer. You're not a believer. That's what sets believers apart this morning. Men and women who used to, the, the residents of our soul, sin and corruption had taken up residence, sin and corruption, and ourselves sat on the throne of our heart. But when Jesus saves us, when we realize there's no condemnation and we repent of our sin and chase after Him, He replaces that with His Spirit. Let's move on. We'll get back to the Spirit in just a second. 8.3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. There's a point I want to make here. Jesus entered into the messiness of humanity to clean and vindicate his sons and daughters. Jesus entered into the messiness of humanity. When you hear that word, a lot of times we read Bible verses and we're like, holy smokes, what does that mean? How, how's that saying it? I mean, especially when you read, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. What does that mean? It means that God did not spare an ounce of his wrath when he was pouring it on Jesus. When he poured out his wrath on the cross, when Jesus experienced the brutality of God's wrath, God did not spare an ounce. And in that moment, he condemned sin forevermore. Do you know what that means, believer? In that moment, he redeemed mankind forevermore. Those who would trust and repent in Jesus. Your freedom was not won today by a prayer or today by your good works. Your freedom wasn't bought by your good church attendance or Sunday school attendance or your tithing amount. Your freedom was bought 2,000 plus years ago on a cross on Calvary's hill. That's why we're free. That's why we talk about the cross. That's why we shift our focus every Sunday and say, God, let us be Christ-centered and cross-focused. Why? Because that's where all of our freedom comes from. 
All of it comes from the cross. I want you to think about this too. I want you to see this with me, if you will. Can we just paint this picture? It is God, the, the heart of God, which I, I can't imagine, right? I mean, his creativity, you just look at the galaxies, you look at rivers. I mean, you look at a, I don't know, a fish, I don't know, whatever you like to look at, a painting, and you can just see specks of the majesty of God, right? He's so big and so creative. But you think about it this way. When Jesus was on the cross, every ounce of God's wrath towards you and towards me was poured on Jesus. Listen, believer, in that moment when that happened, what was left in the heart of God? Nothing but love for the believer. Do you hear that this morning? When the wrath was poured out, Jesus took our place. And now God, the Father, can shift His affection and His focus and His attention to sons and daughters who've been redeemed because there's nothing left in His heart but love for you. Man, I hope, I hope you're going to let that rest on you. Chew on that. I'll write it down and send it home with you, but I hope you get that. I hope you get that. Let's move on. 8-4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We hit on that a second ago, and now we're about to focus a little bit more. We are the who. You hear me, believer, this morning? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're the who, or at least we should be. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore. And there are times that that takes discipline, that that takes sacrifice. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. So what does that mean? That means that at times our lives are going to look extremely foolish and crazy. You hear me this morning? Like I, I know we want lives that are all put together and planned out and, and we can graph them and do the pie charts and some of you guys are really skilled into that and can do that. I can't, right? I mean, that's but who we are. We, we want this planable life. This life that that we have figured out and we have our grip on, but a life that walks after the Spirit is a life that comes to the end of itself and says, God, here I am. Do whatever you want to do with me as long as the world sees you through me. Do you hear me this morning? For some people, it looks like selling everything that they have and going to another country. For some of us, it, it's like telling the person at the grocery store, Jesus loves you. Right? Are you walking by the Spirit this morning? This is something I had to ask myself, had to challenge myself with when I was reading through this text. TJ, are you walking by the Spirit? Are you putting your life in a position? And this is what I mean. Are you saturated with the presence of God? Do you spend time with God? Do you honor God? Do you seek Him first? Do you seek His kingdom and desire His kingdom and delight in His gospel above all things? Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you walking... To your own drum? Are you walking by your own ambition, your own desires, your own pride, your own dreams? Or have you come to the cross and threw everything out of your hands and said, God, here I am. Do whatever you want with me. Listen, th this is the kind of life that, that God desires for us. It's an it's a ark building kind of life. You know what I'm saying? 
I'm going to unpack it a little bit. I believe God delights in people who he can walk up to, or walk up to, right? That he can come to and say, hey, I want you to build an ark. Well, God, I don't even, what's rain? You know what I'm saying? No, I, I want you to build an ark, and I'm going to fill it up with all these animals. And, and uh, well, God, what, what's a boat look like, right? And if you look at the dimensions of the ark in the Bible, it's really like this long rectangular cube. So, like, you know, if a shipbuilder of today was looking back then, he'd be like, you're a moron. But what do he do? Okay, God. He got some gopher wood and he built an ark. You look a little further in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Elijah, and he comes into a town. This is the kind of, this is the kind of walking by the Spirit that I believe God wants us to have. We, you come to Elijah, and he comes upon this woman. And uh, some of you know this scripture, you've heard it before, but he comes upon this woman, and and she's gathering up some sticks to build a fire. And, and Scripture says that he says, well, you know, what are you doing? And she said, well, I, I'm, I'm going to build this fire. I got just enough meal, just enough oil to make one more cake. And then my son and I are going to eat it and we're going to die. Anybody heard that story? Old Testament, cool little nugget tucked away. He said, I'm, I'm going to make this last cake and then I'm going to eat it and, and I'm going to die. And that's what the prophet said. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, make a cake for me first. Most of you, <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel if a preacher walked up to me and was like, hey, bro, give me your last meal. But he walks up, he says, give, give me the cake and first, and then you and your son eat, and, and God will provide. So check this out. This lady being led by the Spirit, a glimpse of the Spirit in the Old Testament, being led, she just, she's got nothing else to hope in. So what she do? She hopes in the promise delivered to her by a man of God. And she goes and she bakes a cake and she gives it to him and they eat. And you know what happens? She goes back to the barrel the next day. And you know what? Man, there's just another cup full. And there's just enough oil for one more cake. And so they eat again and she's like, Day one, done, you know, marks it off the calendar. She goes back the next day, and, and, and you know what? The craziest thing, there was enough grain in the bottom of the barrel, enough oil for another cake, and day after day after day. Do you see this picture of your life, believer, that when we're led by the Spirit, it not, might not always be exactly what we want, but it will always be in step with Him, and He will always provide, even if it's a cup of grain at a time. You hear me this morning? Because walking by the Spirit, I, I don't want you to be confused this morning. It is not easy. And sometimes it definitely does not feel like your best life now. It doesn't. Sometimes it's heavy and it's hard and you have to carry things that you think, why in the world do I have to carry this? And you have to walk through things. You have to bite your tongue. You have to suffer well. You have to follow Jesus. And the Christian life, a lot of times we want to paint it rosy so maybe if we talk about it good enough that we'll get some converts. The reality is, is that we've been called to suffer with Christ so that we might be able to reign with Christ. So sometimes, listen, I know you're here this morning. You went to the barrel this morning. You opened the lid, and there wasn't even a cup left. Go back this afternoon. Get in your prayer closet. Talk to your father. 
He is your Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. He is your king and your priest. And it may not be easy, but walking by the Spirit will always lead you to life. Do you hear me this morning? It'll always lead you to life. I want to show you that based on the word, not just on my opinion. 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. He shifts here from walking by the Spirit to what it's like to walk by the flesh. For a minute, he says, the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Did you hear that this morning? To set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Listen. This is what I love about this text. Even just this one point here. A life that is leaning on the flesh, a life that is thinking on the flesh, a life that is being led in the flesh, our mortal bodies, our own intellect saying, I can handle this, I can do this, does not please God. But a life that says, God, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I trust you pleases him. Isn't that crazy? A life that says, God, I don't know exactly what you have for me or what you want me to do, but I'm going to continue to, to walk this way that I feel like you're leading me until I see your hand unfold your plan for me. Do you hear me this morning? A life that is led by the flesh, the pursuit of this world, if the aim and the, the, if the bullseye of your ambition this morning is on the world or anything it has to offer, it will lead you to death. And, and I, I don't mean just dying and ceasing to live that's there's far worse things than dying it's living a life that's dead for 40 or 50 years and if you live after the flesh that's what you're going to get but if you live after the spirit if you pursue the spirit of God if you allow the spirit of God ask the spirit of God to dominate your life he will and he will always lead to life and peace no matter what you're walking through I want you to hear this this morning how do we keep our minds on the Spirit? You, you might be saying that, TJ, that sounds good and great, but how do I do that? Listen, repentance. Repentance. It's a concept that we talk about pretty often that Jesus came on the scene talking about, and it's through the whole of Scripture. You say, how do I keep my mind on the Spirit? How do I keep my life focused on the Spirit? Repentance. One great theologian said at one time, he said, you want to live daily as a Christian, you need to learn to die daily as a Christian because daily Christian living means daily Christian dying, that we come to the end of ourselves every day. Hear this, it's a daily undoing of our pride and self-reliance. It's the shedding off of the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality and the absolute surrender to Jesus every single day. John Calvin said that the mind of man, the heart of man is an idol factory. So that if we're left to ourselves, if we don't fill it with the Spirit of God, if we don't fill it with the Word of God, that we'll conjure up incredible things all on our own. It's an idol factory. So practically, how do, we, how do we set our minds on the Spirit? How do we live lives that are Spirit-focused, Christ-focused, Christ-centered? How do we do that? Let, let me just, here's a start. Here's, here's just a foundation. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Pick a few verses that encourage you, memorize them, 
Sit with some worship music on or just sit in silence and ponder the grace of God. You say, how do I, how do I live a Spirit-filled life? How do I walk after the Spirit? Put God first. Pursue Him where He can be found. Where he can, can He be found for sure? When you don't fill Him. You know what I'm saying? Some of us go by the way we feel sometimes. When we, we feel void or we feel isolated. How, how can I find God? How can I pursue His Spirit? How can I walk after it? Where is the one place that you know you can hear His voice and find Him? The Word. The Word. If you're in the valley this morning or on the mountain, the one place that you can come and find the heart of God and constantly hear His voice is the Word. So I'm telling you, believer, how do we begin to cultivate a life that walks by the Spirit, delight in the Word of God? It's His promise. It's His seal. It's the thing that when we're in those moments of despair and we think, I can't take any more, it's those moments that we can draw up from the, the, the back part of our mind where we've tucked it away. Every good, God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. There are no variables. And God, you work all things together for the good to them that love you and who are called according to your purpose. And then you can you just do that. You just start pulling stuff from your heart that you've tucked away in the Word. But if we don't get in the Word, we have no ammunition. So how do we cultivate a life that walks by the Spirit? Number one thing is we surrender. We abandon ourselves. We repent. And then we delight in His promises. We delight in His Word. I want, you to, I want to read this with you. This is how he wraps this up, and I, I love this, in Romans 8, 9 through 11. It says, you, however, are not of the flesh. I love how he does that. How he talks a little bit about the flesh, but then he's like, whoa, 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 I just want to remind you, you're not of the flesh. It's incredible, because in verse 1 he says, don't be condemned. There's no condemnation in Christ. And then he starts talking about the flesh, and some of you are probably like the listeners in Rome. They started thinking, I'm of the flesh. I know what I thought about this morning. I know what I did last week. You know what I'm saying? And that, that It's so easy for that condemnation. Some of you are looking at me like with these blank looks. You sat there and did it. We talked about being free in Jesus and no condemnation. Everybody was like, yeah. And then we talk about the flesh for a minute. It's like, I'm horrible. We get brought so low. But listen, that's why Paul says, hey, hey, remember, you're not of the flesh. You're not of the flesh. Listen. In fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So why in this section with a resurrection? That's what I asked myself when I was reading 1-11. through 11, I was like, He ends with the resurrection. He's talking about no condemnation and walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh in this weird balance and one dominating the other. And then he ends at resurrection. Why? I want you to hear this this morning. It's a reminder that we were made for someplace else, believer. That there is a day coming when the wrestle, the war, the accuser, and all his demons that do his bidding will be done forever. It's a reminder that you are of the Spirit and called to walk in the Spirit. The bottom line 
is that you aren't your own anymore and your identity's been changed. We're going to talk about more, more about our identity being changed the next two weeks, but, but this morning I, I want you to hear this. Remember, recall this morning the day of your salvation. Recall this morning in your mind. I, I want you to, as we begin to clo- wrap up this service, I want you to think back to when Christ rescued you from sin. Because this is what he's doing. He's reminding you that you were made. Your identity was changed. Your, your status before God was changed from condemned to free. And then he wants you to remember that you were once filled with hatred for God, despising his precepts and mocking his beauty. We were all like ants scurrying about beneath his power and repulsed by him. Some of us even grasping for his glory. Hear this. Then the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, drew us. Not only drew us, but convicted us, converted us, and made us lovers of God. Desiring to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and to be mindful of the Spirit. Therefore, pleasing God. This is the aim of the Spirit-filled believer, to please God. To give up the life that is consumed by the flesh and the pursuit of vain glory. And remember that though we were once God-haters, He came and turned us into God-lovers. He changed our status. He changed our identity. And the declaration over our life forever will be there's no condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you this morning, then we're going to have a time of response. Father, what we know for sure about you is that your words are life. God, when you, you said something in your word, God, you said it with purpose. You said it with intention to change us, God, to... To make us more like you. So God, I pray for the believers in the room this morning. God, I pray for those who may be struggling in condemnation, walking through condemnation, or or, or God, even those who have sat and the accuser has whispered in their ear, even maybe during this service this morning, the accusers whispered in their ear and said, you're unworthy, or "You're, you're not good enough, or God really didn't forgive you for that. God, I pray that you would just silence and squash the voice of the accuser this morning and remind your sons and daughters that they are free indeed through you and your sacrifice on the cross. And God, I also pray, if there be any here today, God, that they have not repented of their sin and placed their full trust and full faith in you, God. I pray that you would soften their hearts and give them the boldness to surrender. Give them the boldness to surrender, Jesus. We love you for it in Jesus' name.